A Guide to the Faith of the Bible, Lesson 1, Becoming a Christian, Where to Begin. The discussion presented in these lessons on the Kingdom of God, the Christian Gospel, assumes an understanding of the sacrificial, atoning death of Jesus and of his resurrection and ascension. These are essential elements in the Christian Gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 3. But they are not the whole gospel. The need for an investigation of the Christian gospel lies in the fact that the kingdom of God is also an absolutely indispensable component of the evangelism of Jesus and the apostles. The term kingdom of God is never simply a synonym for the facts about the death and resurrection of Jesus. Moreover, the kingdom of God is often the first article of faith in New Testament descriptions of the saving message. You'll find that in Matthew 4, verse 17, Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, Luke 4, verse 43, Luke 5, verse 1, and Acts 8, verse 12, Acts 19, 8, Acts 20, verse 25, and Acts 28, 23, and 31, and also in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, and many other verses. All this is both before and after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom for some 30 chapters, as recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, without at that stage mentioning his death and resurrection. He began to speak of this, his death and resurrection, much later in Matthew 16, verse 21. This must prove to the open-minded that the gospel is not just that, quote, Jesus died for me. So here are the master texts that we're dealing with. I quote, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming God's gospel, or good news, and saying, the time has come and the kingdom of God is approaching, repent and believe the gospel. That's Mark 1, verse 14 and 15. Another quotation, when they believed Philip, as he preached the gospel about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. That's Acts 8, verse 12. Another quotation. Paul put his case to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them about Jesus, arguing from the law of Moses and the prophets. This went on from early morning until evening. And some were convinced by what he said, while the rest were skeptical. That's found in Acts 28, verse 23. Another quotation. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all, Jews and Gentiles, who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's in Acts 28, 
verses 30 and 31. In every system of knowledge, there's a fundamental idea to be grasped, a core concept around which all other data must be organized. This central dominating idea will determine the character of the subject as a whole and give meaning to every part of it. The core concept, the basic thesis, becomes the criterion by which all subsidiary ideas are evaluated. What then is the axis around which all of the Christian faith revolves? The Christian faith comes to us in the Bible as a body of information, challenging us to response and action. The source of that information is ultimately God himself transmitting his message through prophets and teachers and supremely in his principal representative, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. What then is the central core concept of the teaching of Jesus? What forms the heart of his message? What one single idea underlies all his preaching and teaching? What primary idea must be grasped and believed by anyone who wants to follow Jesus? What did Jesus consider to be the essential gospel, that is, saving message? The answer to this question can be discovered by anyone with an ordinary ability to read any version of the Bible and an earnest desire to find out what Jesus taught. The importance of Christianity's key idea so impressed the writers of the New Testament that they emphasized it over and over again. It is a testimony to the extraordinary way in which fundamental concepts can be lost that Jesus' master idea is very seldom, if ever, presented with clarity to the public in the 21st century gospel preaching. Equally amazing is the fact that leaders of organized Christianity admit that they are not proclaiming as gospel what Jesus proclaimed as the gospel. The gospel as Jesus preached it is very often conspicuous by its absence from contemporary presentation of what is called, quote, the gospel. Christianity's central idea. Without any possible fear of contradiction, we can assert with complete confidence that the axis around which all Jesus' teaching revolves is the gospel of the kingdom of God. The genius of Christianity is concentrated in that one term. It is Jesus and the apostles' master idea. It is the heart of their rallying cry to the public. It has been preserved for us meticulously in the pages of the Bible, especially in the records of the ministry of Jesus. It is the gospel which comes from the one God of the Bible. That's to say, God's gospel, Mark 1, verse 14, and the beginning of the gospel is there as announced in Mark 1, verse 1. There's one gospel in the Bible, the good news of God's plan to grant you immortality, 
that's to say indestructible life, life forever, and to prepare you to administer the world on a renewed earth with Jesus in the coming kingdom. You'll find that in Matthew 5 verse 5, Revelation 5 verse 10, 2 Timothy 2 verse 12, Revelation 2 verse 26, and Revelation 3 verse 21, chapter 5 and verse 10, chapter 20 verses 1 to 6, and chapter 22 verse 5. Also in Isaiah 32 verse 1, and 1 Corinthians 6 verse 2, and in Matthew 19, 28, Luke 22, 28 to 30. It's called God's Gospel, or the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. See Mark 1, verses 1 and 14 and 15. Notice next how Paul spoke always, as did Jesus, of God's Gospel. You'll find that phrase in Romans 1, verse 1, and Romans 15, verse 16, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 7, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 2, 8, and 9. All the apostles preached the same saving gospel as Jesus had. See, for example, 1 Peter 4, verse 17. Those eight references to God's gospel from Jesus, Paul, and Peter, prove the New Testament's testimony to a single saving gospel. Open the Bible to Mark chapter 1, verses 1, 14, and 15. Here the career of Jesus is launched with his preaching of the gospel about the kingdom of God. He came into Galilee and summoned his compatriots to a complete change of mind and lifestyle, that's to say repentance, and to believe in the good news or gospel about the kingdom of God. This is where all true faith and all true repentance must begin. The command to, quote, repent and believe in the gospel about the kingdom is Jesus' first command and a summary of the faith which he presented. It's only reasonable that we begin at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and teach the faith as he taught it. We should remember at once that, quote, he who obeys the Son has life, and he who disobeys the Son of God remains under the wrath of God. That's in John chapter 3, verse 36. Jesus thus urges us to believe what he taught as the saving gospel. Our response to Jesus' gospel is the criterion of judgment. We are going to be judged by his words. John 5, verse 24, John 12, verses 44 to 50, and Mark 8, verses 35 to 38. We are urged to comply with Jesus' opening command to mankind. Quote, believe the gospel about the kingdom of God. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. The gospel of the kingdom is the gracious message of God telling us what he expects of us. 
We are to obey that gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 and 1 Peter 4 verse 17. To disregard the gospel of the kingdom puts us in opposition to God and to Jesus. Jesus was particularly indignant at those who claimed to follow him but disregarded his teachings. I quote, Why do you call me Lord, and yet you will not do what I say? That's in Luke 6, verse 46. All the gospel writers emphasize the fundamental importance of the gospel about the kingdom. John uses different terminology for the same idea. He calls the kingdom, quote, everlasting life, or better translated, the life of the age to come. The first piece of information about Jesus given us by Luke, when the birth of the Messiah is announced, concerns the kingdom of God. I quote, The Lord God will give Jesus the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That's in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. The very last question posed by Jesus' trained disciples to their master was, I quote, Has the time now come for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. As any religious Jew knew well, the promise of Gabriel concerning the role of Jesus in God's plan was a statement about the Messiah's kingship in the coming kingdom of God to be established on the earth with its headquarters in Jerusalem, a Jerusalem purged of evildoers and reconciled to God and his Messiah Jesus. See Isaiah 1 verse 26 and many passages in the Old Testament prophets. For example, Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. Jesus himself gives us a clear definition of the underlying purpose of his ministry. He informs us about the basis of his entire career with these words. I quote, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other cities also. That is the reason I was sent. You'll find that in Luke chapter 4 verse 43. That is what God commissioned me to do, he says. That is the driving force behind my Christian mission to the world. This text opens up the mind of Jesus for us and provides the key to the whole Christian faith, which must be based on his teaching. Jesus tells us the whole reason for his ministry in this verse. Have you heard this verse quoted often? Did you know that Luke Chapter 4, verse 43, provides one of the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith. Luke immediately goes on to tell us that Jesus was preaching the message, or the word. You'll find this in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, and Mark chapter 2, verse 2. Also in Acts 8, verses 4, 5, and 12. This is the Bible shorthand for the Christian message of salvation. It appears throughout the New Testament as, quote, the message about the kingdom, Matthew 13, 19. The word of God, Luke 
8 verse 11 or simply the word in Mark 4 verse 14 and other phrases with the same meaning. It may just be called the gospel or quote this gospel about the kingdom. Matthew 24 verse 14, Matthew 4 verse 23 and Matthew 9 verse 35 and Mark 13 verse 10. We must grasp and believe this message and no other in order to embark on the process of becoming a Christian believer. Nothing could be more crucial for our spiritual welfare than to gain an understanding of this message. It is one message and one message only, the good news or gospel about the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 4 verse 43 and Luke 5 verse 1. The gospel about the kingdom of God equates the message about the kingdom with the message or word of God. For further details of the different New Testament names for the one gospel of the kingdom, please see Appendix 1 of my book, The Coming Kingdom of the Messiah, A Solution to the Riddle of the New Testament, available free at our site, Focus on the Kingdom. The spreading of this gospel message was of paramount importance to Jesus and the disciples he chose to assist him. Without any doubt, it was the message of God's good news about the kingdom of God, which they preached everywhere. I quote, He went around the whole of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news or gospel of the kingdom of God. That's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and again in Matthew 9, verse 35. Matthew repeats this summary account of what Jesus was doing. Later, Jesus, quote, sent them, the twelve, that is, to proclaim the kingdom of God. Luke 9, verse 2. Jesus defined the ultimate purpose of life for his followers. It is the quest for the kingdom of God. He instructs his followers, quote, seek first the kingdom of God. That's in Matthew 6, verse 33. The same subject dominated the conversation between Jesus and the disciples after his death and resurrection. For almost six weeks, he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. You'll find that in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. Christianity, as Jesus taught it, is about the kingdom of God and Jesus as the king of that coming kingdom. The challenge to you is to prepare to enter that kingdom when it comes in the future. No wonder that Jesus urged believers to pray, quote, may your kingdom come. That's in Matthew 6, verse 10. Information vital to the potential believer. Luke tells us about the information required by potential converts before they could be baptized, in water that is, into the Christian faith. His statement reads like an early creed. I quote, When they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. That's in Acts 8, verse 12. 
Jesus promised a supreme reward to his disciples. They were to assist in the rulership of the new world or new age of the coming kingdom. I quote, I assign to you, literally in the Greek, I covenant with you a kingdom, as my Father has assigned or covenanted a kingdom to me, and you will sit on thrones to govern, that's the word judge, meaning to govern the twelve tribes of Israel. You'll find this in Matthew 19, verse 28, and Luke chapter 22, verses 28 to 30. The word judge, which appears in many versions, is properly translated govern, or administer, or rule. Compare the Old Testament judge in the book of Judges. Judges were rulers. Note also the fact that kings judge in Psalm 2 verse 10 and 1 Maccabees 9, 73 and so on. Many modern commentaries recognize the fact that judging in Matthew 19, 28 and Luke 22 verse 30 means administering. No wonder then that Paul, faithfully following Jesus, could sum up his whole ministry by calling it a preaching of the gospel of the kingdom, Acts 20 verse 25, which one verse earlier he called the gospel of the grace of God. Luke wishes us never to forget what the apostles always proclaimed as the gospel. He informs us that Paul preached the kingdom of God for three months in Corinth, Acts 19 verse 8. In order to leave no room for doubt or misunderstanding, he ends his second treatise, the book of Acts, by describing Paul's activity in Rome. For two years, Paul preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the things concerning the name of Jesus. That's in Acts 28, verses 23 and 31. This was the gospel message of salvation, which he addressed both to Jews and Gentiles alike. Acts 28, verse 23 and 31. Jesus had commanded one gospel for all the nations until his return. We find that in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It is the gospel of the kingdom which must constantly be preached in all the world until Jesus returns at the end of the age. I quote, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world and then the end will come. That's in Matthew 24, verse 14. With this evidence before us, and there is much more, we may say that no one honestly in search of biblical truth can miss recognizing the principal idea behind the Christian message of salvation. The kingdom of God is undoubtedly the heart and core of Jesus and the apostles' preaching of salvation, the basic idea around which true Christianity revolves. A comparison with traditional preaching. Biblical Christianity is founded, as we have seen, on the message about the kingdom of God and about the Messiah Jesus, who is the king of that kingdom. If, however, we inquire of the various contemporary church denominations, we soon discover 
that the kingdom of God is one of the least well-known topics in their preaching. The phrase, quote, gospel of the kingdom is almost entirely absent from contemporary presentations of the gospel. Instead, you will hear much talk about a vague, quote, heaven when we die. One popular preacher says that Christians are going to polish rainbows in heaven, prepare heavenly dishes, or tend heavenly gardens. But such language has no basis at all in the Bible. Jesus nowhere promised, quote, heaven as the future reward of the faithful. He invariably invited his disciples to prepare to, quote, enter or inherit the kingdom of God. He wants his followers to inherit the earth, Matthew 5, verse 5, and to rule the world with him on earth when he comes back. That's in Revelation 5, verse 10. The following words of a former head of the Church of England point to a long-standing and extraordinary absence of Jesus' central message. Apparently, the churches have not been proclaiming the same message as Jesus and the apostles did. Consider these words of a distinguished church leader. I quote, Every generation finds something in the gospel which is of special importance to itself and seems to have been overlooked in the previous age or sometimes in all previous ages of the church. The great discovery of the age in which we live is the immense prominence given to the gospel of the kingdom of God. To us it is quite extraordinary that it figures so little in the theology and religious writings of almost the entire period of Christian history. Certainly in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the kingdom has a prominence which could hardly be increased. A quotation is from William Temple, former Archbishop of Canterbury, in his book, Personal Religion and the Life of Fellowship. This leading scholar of the Church of England agrees with us that the gospel of the kingdom has, quote, a prominence which could hardly be increased in the New Testament accounts of Jesus' ministry. At the same time, he recognizes that the gospel of the kingdom is barely evident in, quote, the theology and religious writings of almost the entire period of Christian history. This he finds, quote, quite extraordinary, as we do. It should be a cause for urgent concern among believers. We trust that the impact of these astonishing facts will not be missed. While churches have continued to function for the past nearly 2,000 years since the time of Jesus, there is a glaring difference between what Jesus taught and what they have been teaching. This does not have to do with matters of secondary importance. The factor which has been lacking in preaching and teaching is nothing less than the heart and center of all that Jesus taught, namely the gospel message about the kingdom of God. The Witness of Contemporary Scholars 
There's no room for disagreement that the kingdom of God was the subject of Jesus' entire message and mission. I quote, On one central point, there's a strong consensus of opinion. The consensus can be summarized thus. The central theme in the preaching and life of Jesus was the kingdom of God. That's from Thomas Groom's book, Christian Religious Education. This author points out, however, that in the message preached by the church, since those apostolic times, quote, the kingdom of God has not occupied a central place. And again, is from Thomas Groom's book, Christian Religious Education. Further distinguished names will confirm the absolute centrality of the message about the kingdom in the teaching of Jesus. I quote, This term, kingdom of God, is at the center of Jesus' proclamation. That's from Hans Kung in his book on being a Christian. Again, another quotation. The most certain historical datum about Jesus' life is that the concept which dominated his preaching, the reality which gave meaningfulness to all of his activity, was, quote, the kingdom of God. This fact and its implications are of fundamental importance. It provides us with two essential keys to understanding, to understanding Jesus, in fact. First, Jesus is not the central focus of his own teaching. This fact is commonly admitted. As Karl Rahner put it, I quote, Jesus preached the kingdom of God, not himself. That's from John Sabrino's book, Christology at the Crossroads. However, Jesus also made exclusive claims for himself, of course. Other prominent witnesses corroborate our thesis. Quote, the whole message of Jesus focuses upon the kingdom of God. That's from Norman Perrin's book, The Language of the Kingdom. It is generally admitted that the focal point of Jesus' message was the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And that's from Reginald Fuller's book, Essays on the Love Commandment. At the turn of the last century, Dr. A. Robinson, giving the Bampton Lectures on the Kingdom of God, asserted, and I quote, There can be no question that in our Lord's teaching the Kingdom of God is the representative and all-embracing summary of his distinctive mission. Throughout, his message is the good news of the Kingdom. That's from the book Regnum Dei of 1901. What has happened to Jesus' gospel message? It's highly instructive to note that a leading writer on evangelism in our time frankly admits that the kingdom of God is conspicuously absent from modern preaching. I quote, How much have you heard here about the kingdom of God? Not much. It's not our language, but it was Jesus' prime concern. That's a citation from Tom Sine in his book, The Mustard Seed Conspiracy. 
This statement comes from a prominent evangelist after he had attended the Lausanne International Conference on World Evangelization in 1974. Equally remarkable is this admission by a prominent spokesman for the church growth movement. I quote, Modern scholarship is quite unanimous in the opinion that the kingdom of God was the central message of Jesus. If this is true, and I know of no reason to dispute it, I cannot help wondering out loud why I haven't heard more about the kingdom of God in the 30 years I've been a Christian. I certainly have read about it enough in the Bible. Matthew mentions the kingdom 52 times, Mark 19 times, and Luke 44 times, and John 4 times. But I honestly cannot remember any pastor whose ministry I've been under actually preaching a sermon on the kingdom of God. As I rummage through my own sermon barrel, I now realize that I myself have never preached a sermon on it. Where has the kingdom of God been? That's a quotation from Peter Wagner's book, Church Growth and the Whole Gospel. Once again, we hope that the devastating implications of these statements will not be overlooked. Michael Green notes the absence of kingdom of God language amongst leading evangelists. Peter Wagner has not preached on the kingdom of God. Jesus, however, always preached about the kingdom of God. Matthew 4, verse 17, chapter 4, verse 23, chapter 9, verse 35, and chapter 24, verse 14, Luke 4, verse 43, and Luke 16, verse 16. The ministry of Jesus was continued after his resurrection through the apostles who always proclaimed the same gospel of the kingdom. We find that in Acts 8.12, chapter 14, verse 22, Acts 19, verse 8, Acts 20, verse 25, and Acts 28, verses 23 and 31, and also in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Another well-known theologian observes this, and I quote, During the past 16 years, I can recollect only two occasions on which I've heard sermons specifically devoted to the theme of the kingdom of God. I find this silence rather surprising because it's universally agreed by New Testament scholars that the central theme of the Gospels and of the teaching of Jesus was the kingdom of God. This phrase was used by Jesus more than any other. One would expect that the modern preacher who is trying to bring the message of Jesus to his congregation would have much to say about this subject. In fact, my experience has been the opposite, and I have rarely heard about it. That's a quotation from Dr. I. Howard Marshall in an article preaching the kingdom of God from the expository times. But how can Christ be preached at all if his gospel is not communicated 
to the potential converts. Does not, quote, faith come from hearing and hearing from Messiah's message? That's in Romans 10, verse 17. It's agreed on all sides that Jesus' supreme purpose concerned the kingdom of God. At the same time, those who claim to be propagating the gospel as Jesus preached it say almost nothing about the kingdom. Elizabeth Achtermeyer writes, and I quote, One of the central messages of the New Testament, which is now rarely heard by the average churchgoer, is the proclamation of the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That coming was promised in every major theological complex in the Old Testament. The prophets promised the new age of the kingdom on the other side of the judgment of the exile with a new exodus, as in Isaiah 52, 11 to 12, and wilderness wanderings in Isaiah 48, verses 20 and 21, to a renewed promised land, Ezekiel 34, this is 25 to 31, where Israel would dwell in faithfulness and security in a new covenant relationship with her God. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, and would by her light attract all nations into her fellowship. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3 and Isaiah 56, verses 6 to 8. Israel anticipated that coming kingdom and knew a foretaste of it in her worship. you find that in Psalm 47 and Psalms 96 to 99. Throughout most of the pages of the Old Testament, Israel strains forward to the kingdom's arrival. That's from the book preaching as theology and art. A final example will help to enforce our contention that for modern preachers, the gospel of the kingdom of God does not have anything like the comprehensive significance it had for Jesus. In an editorial in the journal Missiology, Arthur F. Glasser says, let me ask, when is the last time you heard a sermon on the kingdom of God. Frankly, I'd be hard put to recall ever having heard a solid exposition of this theme. How do we square this silence with the widely accepted fact that the kingdom of God dominated our Lord's thought and ministry? My experience is not uncommon. I've checked this out with my colleagues. Of course, they readily agree. They've often heard sermons on bits and pieces of Jesus' parables. But as for a solid sermon on the nature of the kingdom of God as Jesus taught it, upon reflection, they too began to express surprise that it is the rare pastor who tackles the subject. That's from Missiology in 1980. The loss of the gospel as Jesus preached it. The above facts lead to a simple conclusion. Jesus and the apostles made the kingdom of God the principal theme of all their teaching. 
They proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God everywhere. The good news message of salvation consisted of information concerning the kingdom of God. Generally speaking, the churches calling themselves Christian admit that they have never said much about the kingdom. Modern preachers do not preach it. Contemporary evangelists confess that the kingdom is not part of their evangelistic agenda. This may be easily demonstrated, too, by pointing to the absence of the word kingdom in tracts promoting what is called the gospel. We conclude, therefore, that there's a glaring loss of gospel content if we compare the Christianity of Jesus and the apostles with what has been called Christianity for some 1900 years. Throughout the biblical accounts of the preaching of Jesus and the apostles, we find a plain record that the kingdom of God, to be inaugurated by Jesus as king of that kingdom, is Christianity's principal concept. It is not, and never has been, the principal concept in traditional Christianity. It must follow, we contend, that the Christianity of Jesus and the Apostles and traditional Christianity are substantially different in this important matter of defining the content of the Gospel. A summary of the biblical facts. We may gain a sense of the massive importance of the Kingdom of God in biblical Christianity by quoting some of the many verses in which Jesus spoke of it. The term Kingdom of Heaven, used only by Matthew, is the exact equivalent of Kingdom of God. They are interchangeable terms. Matthew 4.23 Then Jesus travelled through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 8, verses 11 and 12. I quote, And I tell you that many will come from the east and from the west and will take their seats with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the natural heirs of the kingdom will be driven out into the darkness outside. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 9, verse 35, And Jesus went around all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 13, verse 10, To you disciples it is granted to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. To them it is not. Matthew 13, 19, when a man hears the message concerning the kingdom. Matthew 6, 33, Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. Matthew 13, verse 41, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all who violate his laws, and these they will throw into the fiery furnace. Matthew 13, verse 43, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Listen, everyone who has ears. Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10, In this manner, therefore, you should pray. 
may thy kingdom come. Matthew 19, verse 24. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 20, verse 21. Command, she replied, that these my two sons may sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Matthew 26, verse 29. I tell you, I will never again drink the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink the new wine with you in my Father's kingdom. Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world to set the evidence before the nations, and then the end will come. Luke 4, verse 43. I must proclaim the kingdom of God gospel to the other towns also because for this purpose i was sent luke 8 verse 1 shortly after this he visited town after town and village after village proclaiming the gospel message of the kingdom of god luke 9 verse 2 he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of god and to cure the sick Luke 9, verse 11. And receiving them kindly, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Luke 9, verse 60. Leave the dead, said Jesus, to bury their dead, but you go and announce far and wide the kingdom of God. Luke 12, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 21, verse 31. So also, when you see these things happening, that is, the events surrounding the return of Jesus to the earth, you may be sure that the kingdom of God is about to come. Luke 22, verses 28 to 30. You, however, have remained with me in my trials, and I covenant to give to you, as my Father has covenanted with me, a kingdom so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones to govern the twelve tribes of Israel. These quotations will suffice to underline the fact that the kingdom of God is indeed the main focus of the ministry and mission of Jesus. The kingdom is overwhelming in its importance. It is decisive for the meaning of Christianity the key which unlocks the teaching of the New Testament. Jesus inaugurated his ministry in Galilee by calling on the public to, quote, repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of God. You find that in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. With this resounding command, the risen Jesus continues to speak to men and women everywhere, the challenge is as urgent today as it was when first issued by Jesus. Change your minds and your lives and believe in the good news message of salvation, the message about the kingdom of God, which Jesus and the apostles always proclaimed. In our next lesson, we will investigate the meaning of the key phrase, kingdom of God. This will clarify the foundation 
of our faith in God and in Jesus. For the moment, we invite readers to commit themselves to the gospel as Jesus preached it and to a search for an understanding of Jesus' key concept. He announced God's immortality program by inviting everyone everywhere to believe and obey the gospel of the kingdom. God wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That is the true gospel. You'll find that in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. I end with a quotation. The kingdom of God is the Christian answer to the most vital question that man has to solve, the question of the purpose of his being. That's from Robertson's book, Regnum Dei, the Bampton Lectures of 1901.